Well, hey, good morning, Brookside. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, it's been, you know, a really uh, fun and impactful week. You know, as Rob mentioned, on Wednesday night we had our worship night together. And, uh, you know, those nights are a lot of fun for us because uh, we very intentionally uh, have those right along with our next generation students. And so for us to be in this place together, pressing into God and really leaning into Him, but to be doing that in the context of our students and seeing what God is doing in their lives is just an absolute blast. And so as we do those more in the future, uh, really put those, uh, put those on your calendar. Uh, I also just wanted to celebrate with you, you know, last week we set aside five days as a church where we said, you know what, Lord, we're going to fast and we're going to intentionally pray and we're going to pray big prayers. We're going to pray with that mindset that we've been talking about as a church, that Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 mindset that, that we worship the kind of God that can do immeasurably more in our midst. And what I love about our great God is this, that when we press into him in that way, he meets us in that place. He doesn't uh, just leave us with a prayer like that, but he is the God of immeasurably more. And so uh, I just want to commend you and thank you. Thank you for leaning into God in that significant way. I believe that God is going to impact you personally, and he's going to impact us as a church, and he's going to impact our city. Um, And two, if let's say you missed out on that opportunity, uh, we're going to do that again as a church because it was so valuable to us. So that'll be that'll be coming around again. Well, this morning we're going to be starting a new three-part series uh, that's called Generous, as Rob said. And what I love about this series is that it's very practical in nature. We're going to talk about three very practical topics. But there are also three topics that are very tied to the heart, to the most important part, the core of who we are. Uh, Maybe you're newer to the teachings of Jesus Christ. One of the things that we find true throughout the Gospels is this, is that Jesus had a lot of opposition. Jesus stood very strongly against people that were religious on the outside, that they did things for the wrong reason, but at the core of who they are, they were a different person. And, uh, and we see that Jesus, he was opposed to that kind of a, I do this out of duty, I do this out of religious obligation. That really upset Jesus. And so in this series, we're going to be talking, though, about things that are right about the core of who we are, uh, right about the core of who God made us to be. And I'm also excited about this series, honestly, because I need it. Um, I, Jeff Dart, need this series. If, if you're anything like me, Uh, We need to be reminded of biblical teaching on topics that you and I face every single day. Um, We have a high value around here around practical biblical teaching, meaning that we want to continue to teach things that matter most to God. The things that matter most to God, we want those to be the things that matter most to us, and we want to talk about those. if you've ever been around somebody that is extremely generous, somebody that approaches life, you could say, with a generous attitude, um, you know that being around them is, is pretty fun um, because their, their personality probably is very winsome. They're the kind of person that you would say they're, they're appealing. But yet you might also describe their uh, attitude of generosity, you might describe that as, as also a little bit abnormal. Um, yet though, when we look at this topic of generosity, we see that it's all over the place. It's in science, it's in sociology. A uh, leading newspaper, a national newspaper, recently ran a story, and the, the title of it was this, Be Generous, It's a Simple Way to Stay Healthier. So this topic is it's all over the place. So in this series of what we want to do is this, we want to look in these three weeks, and we want to ask some questions of God's Word. We want to be directed by God's word. So we're going to ask questions like this. What's at the root of becoming a person that it could be said of me? I have an attitude of generosity about my own life. Uh, we're going to ask questions like this. If, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ in particular, 
Why is it important that I have this kind of a, a mindset? We're going to ask questions like this. Is it really better to give than to receive? Is that really true? Uh, questions like this. Uh, why would I choose? Why would I even intentionally schedule with my time ways to be generous with my influence, with the time that God has given me? And then this last one, this is an important question. How does being generous impact the, the, the person who cares deeply about the long-term term return on investment? For, for that kind of person that your, your mindset goes to, I want long-term return on all of my investments. If that's you. How does generosity play into that? And so I want to begin the way that we begin most uh, series. And I just want us to go before the Lord. This is a big one. And just say, God, would you direct us this morning and throughout this series? And so would you join me now? And let's just pray. And let's just pray some. Again, let's pray to that Ephesians 3.20, that immeasurably more God. And let's just say, Lord, in, this, in our midst, in a very important series, God, would you do great things among us? So yeah, would you, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. And Father, thank you for your church that's gathered Father, I thank you that as we come here today, Lord, you meet us where we are. And Lord, as we discuss a very important topic, Lord, we pray that we would be open to you. And Lord, that our hearts would be wide open and we would invite you, God, to speak to us. And Lord, we thank you yet again this morning that when we invite you to speak and to lead and to nudge us, Father, you do that. You're a good Father. You show up in that way. And so right now, church, would you even just take a moment and would you say, Lord, I desire for you to speak to me today. That might even be a very first time prayer for you. But would you say something, however you say that to the Lord, would you say this morning, Lord, would you speak to me? So go ahead and do that right now. And then would you do this? Would you take just a moment and would you pray for me? And would you pray, would you say, Lord, would Jeff's words this morning, would they be honorable to you? Lord, might we hear from you, God, and might you speak through Jeff, and might his words be pleasing in your sight? And so would you pray for me right now? Lord, I thank you that when we approach you, you love, you love that just as a good father loves it when their children come to a father. Lord, you love it when we come to you. And so, Father, we give these prayers to you. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, our text for this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can turn there now or click there now if you'd like. We're going to be in chapter 6, and we're really just going to look at three important verses this morning, verses uh, 17 through uh, verse 19. And what I want to do before we kind of go through several different aspects of these verses, I want to take you right to the end of this particular set of verses because what we see at the very end of this passage, I believe, is at the root of why the Apostle Paul was writing this uh, passage to us. So I'm going to read the entire text, and then we're going to land, though, on that last phrase. So uh, we're actually going to put this up on the big screen here. Why don't you stand with me as we read our text and God's word this morning. So yeah, stand with me, please. Verse 17, chapter 6, 1 Timothy. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18, command them to do good, 
to be rich in good deeds. We're going to talk a lot about that. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You may be seated. Now, if I was to stand before you or, or and if we were, let's just say we were to, you know, grab coffee later today or something like that, and you and I had some time, whether you're a student or whether you're well, well into adulthood, if I asked you this question, what do you want out of life, what would you say? If I said to you, what do you want out of life, no matter how old or how young you are, what do you want out, what kind of, what kind of mark do you want your life to leave? At the end of your days, what do you want your life to have stood for? If I asked a question like that, chances are there would be a lot of plethora, a whole plethora of, of responses. You might say things like this. You might say, I want my life to make an impact. You might say that really the desire of my life, I'm living so that those around me can flourish. I may be even doing things I don't even really like to do, but I'm doing them because I want people around me to be able to flourish. Or maybe you would say this. You say, I've got some goals I mean, I've written them down, and I'm trying to tick through these goals, goals that I feel like I have for my life. Or maybe you'd say this, one day, and many of you live with this mindset, one day I'm going to stand before my creator, and I just want at the very end of my days, I want my creator to say to me, well done. You have been a good and faithful child of God. Now, if I were to boil down all of our responses to that question, what do you want out of life? If I were to boil all those responses down, I think we would come up with a statement kind of like the one the Apostle Paul gave us at the very end of that passage. It's this. I want to take hold of the life that is truly life. I, I want to take hold of the life that is truly I want my life to count. I want my life to count. I know you want your life to count. I, I want to leave a mark. I want, I want my life to be full. I want my life to have honored God. I want my life to have impacted people. I was walking to a, uh, through a cemetery years ago, and I saw this tombstone that grabbed my attention, and I haven't forgotten it since. It said this of, of this person. It said, gone, right on the tombstone, gone, but not forgotten. And, and what I loved about that was this family was making a statement that this person that they had just lost, they were gone, but they had lived a life that was truly life in some regard because they were gone, but yet they were not forgotten. Now notice in this text, just before this important phrase, the life that is truly life, it says that they may, very key words, that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And so what we're going to find this morning is this, we're going to find instruction on, okay, how do I take hold of the life that is truly life? Because I do want my life to count. And how, how do I live that way though? How do I get to the end of my days and I look back and I go, yes, I took hold of the life that was truly life. What we're going to find in the text this morning is that one of the key ingredients to living a life that is truly life is this whole idea of generosity. But before we look back kind of at these verses in, in great detail, and before we really answer that question, how do I take a hold of the life that is truly life? I want to give you some context for this passage. Because like many times when we open up God's word, when we understand the backstory, particularly I think for this text, because the backstory in the book of 1 Timothy is so much like the, our backstory, and when we understand the backstory, the context of this passage, it helps us apply it. It helps us go, oh, this just isn't written for them long, long, long time ago. No, God has this exactly for us. 
So a few things, just kind of very broadly about this book of 1 Timothy. Know this, this is the Apostle Paul's letter that he's writing to this man named Timothy. Now, Timothy was like his closest apprentice. You could say Timothy was his partner in ministry. There's really no way to overstate the depth of relationship that these two had, the quality of their partnership. He starts off the book, and Paul writes this. He says, Timothy, my true son in the faith, my true son. And in this letter, we're going to see this over and over again, that Paul is writing to Timothy, and it's kind of like one leader writing to another leader. And what Paul is wanting Timothy to know is this, Timothy, this is how you can help shepherd and shape and direct a healthy church. This is how you can lead a group of people to truly find and follow Jesus Christ. And so right out of the gate, we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, the Apostle Paul, he lays it out. He says, this is why I'm writing to you. He says, although I hope to come to you soon, Paul writing, I am writing these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, I want you to know how to thrive as you lead these groups of people that are seeking to honor me. Timothy, I don't want you to flounder. Timothy, I want you to be able to lead people to find and follow Jesus Christ. And I want to do everything that I can to surround you and to help you with that. The Apostle Paul knew that there was so much joy And there was so much excitement in Timothy being able to lead healthy churches. That's why for us, church, Brookside, that's why when we look at our city, we get excited about thinking about how we're going to multiply our influence in this city through other campuses. That's why we get excited about that because we look at every single person's life in our city and we would say on the most critical level, every single person's life would be better if Jesus Christ was at the center of it. But Paul also knows this. He knows as he's writing to Timothy, not only is it joyful, not only is it exciting to plant healthy churches, but the Apostle Paul also knows this, that Timothy's going to face some serious obstacles. He knows that Timothy's going to come up against people that don't share the same dream. He's gonna know, he knows that Timothy's going to face people that they have a lot of opposition toward Timothy trying to create these groups of people that are helping people find and follow Jesus Christ. And so Paul talks about that. He talks about these false teachers. And we see that when he gets to kind of the the end of the list of these things that characterize these false teachers, one of the things that he says is this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. He says, this is how some of them think. They think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Uh, Paul's talking about these false teachers that they think, if I I just kind of cloak myself in godliness, that's going to be a ticket to get rich. And so I'll do that. I'll come underneath this umbrella because I'll get rich that way. Now, their driver is very clearly something that you and I aren't unfamiliar with. Their driver is greed. And so this mention of greed, then it comes up. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, it really sets the direction for the rest of chapter 6. And so then Paul directs him on this topic of contentment and generosity. And the verses that we're going to look at today, the, the section is on generosity. Now, there's one other thing, though, that is very important, I think, to understanding the context of this passage. And I think it really makes this text land home. When Paul is writing to Timothy, know this, Timothy is living in the city of Ephesus. And so when Timothy receives the, this letter called 1 Timothy, he's in the city of Ephesus. Now, you've got to know a few things about Ephesus. 
The city of Ephesus was a booming metropolis. You could say this, it was uh, the most important commercial center in the Roman province of Asia. Somewhere between 200,000, 250,000 people. It's a port city. So there's all sorts of roads coming in and out through the city of Ephesus, which led to a lot of abundance. There was great wealth in the city of Ephesus. And in that context, and you and I can relate to that, that's the kind of culture that we live in, a, 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 a culture that has a lot. But right into the middle of that, we can't miss this, the Apostle Paul says, you've got a group of people that they have a lot, they have a, abundance but I don't want this group of people that in essence they are rich. I don't want them just to be rich materially. I want this church to know how they can then be rich in good deeds. What does this church, what does it look like for this group of people to be generous? What does it look like for you? What does it look like for me to live the life that is truly life? That's where the Apostle Paul is taking them. You know, a quick comparison to other people around the world and our reality uh, like those in Ephesus, it comes to life pretty quickly. Um, you might not feel rich, right? Uh, if I said, are you rich? You'd likely say no, but right away you're thinking of someone, right, that is rich. And that person that you're thinking of, if I ask them that question, they're thinking of someone else that's rich, right? That's how it works. But statistically speaking, even the poorest among us, college students, right? <laughs> Think about this. Statistically speaking, a college student, even a college student at the end of the month, statistically, has a few hundred dollars left that they can spend on discretionary things, which sets them apart from a whole lot of people around the globe. Marjorie, who runs our, our care center over in Zambia, the care center, uh, you know her, we had her up on the screens a couple weeks ago. She uh, has been in Zambia all of her life. Marjorie gets poverty. She understands it. She's lived in it. She called the, this last week, relayed a story to us. She said she was out recruiting for the Hope Center and getting new students. So she's meeting with family. She said, though, she went into this one hut and she said it was like God just broke her in a fresh way. She said, I've never, you know, I just looked around. She goes, they had, they literally had nothing beyond their basic necessities. That's poverty, right? You look around the globe, it kind of puts things in perspective on the world scale. If you have anything, if I have anything, I am rich. This really grabbed my attention this week. One author put it this way, and I think it's healthy for us, church, to hear this kind of thing. If you earn $37,000 a year, that puts you in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. So congratulations, you are in the 4% club. Now isn't it true, though, if you earn $37,000 in the United States of America, in Omaha, Nebraska, you want a race, don't you? Or you want a better job. I've heard it said this way, and I think this is hard to do, but again, so important. Don't compare yourself, Jeff. Don't compare yourself, church, to the person around the block. Rather, compare yourself to those around the world. I need these reminders. And so that's, that's the setting. That's our setting. But our setting is so very familiar to, to the setting in Ephesus. So that's the context of this passage. And hopefully even already your perspective is getting challenged a little bit. And so right into that, Paul gives this instruction. And again, what is motivating the instruction of the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul is wanting Timothy to be able to establish churches where people discover and live the life that is truly life. 
And so he says this to them in verse 17. Very strongly, he starts off this this passage. He says, command. Now, that's kind of like a grab the face mask moment, isn't it? Coach grabs the face mask. They're going to say something very important to that player. If you're going to leave, let's say you were going to leave a group of people that you loved and you were going to put them in someone else in charge of them. And you said to them, hey, do this, do this, but command them to do this. Whatever that, whatever's after the command, that's very important. The word literally means this. It means to instruct. It means, hey, come alongside them. Timothy, you need to lead them in this way because I want you to flourish I love you. I want you to experience the life that is truly life. But notice this. He doesn't rebuke the rich. The Apostle Paul doesn't come down on the rich. The Apostle Paul doesn't say, hey, if you're rich, church, again, don't think of somebody else. Think of yourself. If you're rich, the Apostle Paul doesn't say you need to go and sell everything that you have because there's more godliness associated with poverty than there is with riches. That's not true. We see examples that would be opposed to that in the scriptures. But what he's saying is this. He's saying, if you are rich, which would be us, if you are rich, I have a message for you. It's a message for me. And so our ears should kind of get clued in and we should go, I need to hear this. This is important. So look at some of these key lessons that we can take away from this passage. First of all, we see this very important contrast that the Apostle Paul draws. In verse 17, he says this, command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. And then the next slide, verse 19, he says this. So contrast, rich in this present world. And then he says this, in this way, they will lay up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation. Here it is, for the age to come. So this contrast, rich in this present world. I want you to think about that in one category, rich in this present world. But then he goes this, there's this, another, there's this whole other category. It's the age to come, and I want, you to, I want you to think about that. It's like Paul is saying this, you might be rich right now, but I want you to think beyond that. I want you to think about the age to come. Because the Apostle Paul knew this, if we just think about our riches, and if you and I become the kind of people that we're just consumed with what we have and how we can get more, and da-da-da-da-da, and that's our train of thought, and we work hard for that, and that's what we give our lives to you, too. The Apostle Paul knew that that would lead us to this very thing right here. We would become arrogant. We would become arrogant. And we would say, well, I, I worked hard for that. I did that. I, I earned that. I love this. This is such a perspective shaper. This is so convicting. First Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul wrote to a group and he said this. He said, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? In other words, the blessings that you have aren't just because of you. The blessings that you have, you received those from God. And so it's not right. It would be arrogant just to say, yeah, this is all just because I just worked so hard. I mean, let me ask the question. Can any of us say that we picked the family that we were born into? Can any of you say that you had a little meeting with God before you were born, and you said, God, I, I'm going to pick these four gifts that you would give me, my personality, my gift mix, and, and you figured that out. with. Did any of you pick the ways that God blessed you? No, we didn't. We didn't get to pick any of that. And so what Paul is saying is this. It is complete arrogance for us not to look at the things that we have and say, we, those aren't about us. We received those from God. 
But isn't it easy, though? I mean, I think it's easy to say, well, I, I worked hard for that. Some of you can say, I got into a good college because I busted it. And I just want you to know, hard work and going after it, that's godly. That honors God. In church, we should do it every single week. Day in and day out, we should be the hardest workers in, 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 in our realms of influence. Every time. But you know what? That doesn't make us get to the point where we're able to say this. God, I deserve that. And if somebody else wants what I have, and they're maybe jealous of my riches, you know what they ought to do? They ought to look in the mirror because they haven't worked so hard. That is not the right perspective. The Apostle Paul says this, if you just focus on what you have and you don't claim it as you received it, you're going to become arrogant. Whereas it should be that particularly as Christians, we should say, God, you have given me so much and my gifts and my talents and my abilities, God, I just received those from you. And so if you're rich, like me, we have the greatest platform, the greatest reason to walk in utter humility. And But notice this. It says this, these riches that we have, that God gave them to us, such important words here, for our enjoyment. So God is not a killjoy. So first the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, don't be arrogant. Don't look at what you've got and say, well, I, I earned it. I deserve it. Don't do, don't do that. That just leads you down to the arrogance line. But then he's saying this also, don't put your hope in wealth. Because if you put your hope in wealth, you've got to know this. Wealth is uncertain. Wealth is fragile. Wealth oftentimes overpromises and underdelivers. But instead, he says, put your hope in God. Remember this. He's saying, I want you to flourish. And so I give you these things. God gave you these things, these talents, these abilities, these riches, all of these blessings. And this is cool. I don't think we hear this much in church. God gave us those things for our enjoyment. What a good God. But he's saying, but don't stay there. He's saying, I, I want you to move on from that. And don't be arrogant. Move on from that to this place. Put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything we need for our enjoyment. Put your hope in. Don't trust in, in those things. Remember that your God is not stingy. When it says that God provides everything for our enjoyment, I mean, think about the scriptures for a second. You go clear to the beginning of your Bible and you look at the Garden of Eden. Was that a place where God looked stingy? No way. It was a place of abundance. It looked good. It smelled good. It tasted good. It was a great place. Flip to the end of your Bibles. You think about what, the, what, are, the, what are the pictures of heaven. When Jesus says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you, is that going to be a place where you're going to go, I want more? Man, this house is, wish there was another floor here. You know? No. It is going to blow your mind. Our God is not a stingy God at all. So Paul says to be rich in godly standards means this. You're not arrogant. You don't put your hope in your wealth. You put your hope in God. And then he gives us the second set of instructions. And this text is not, it's pretty straightforward. It's not real hard teaching. It's not hard to understand. Verse 18, Paul goes on then, kind of the second half of this. He says, command. Again, there's strength there. That's that grab the face mask moment. I, I, I mean this. Because I want you to flourish, because I want you to experience the life that is truly life. Command them to do good. 
Command them to, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and to be willing to share. To be rich in good deeds. So don't just look at your stuff and, oh, it's all for my enjoyment. I'm glad I heard that in church. No. Paul says, oh, no, there's another side to that. Yes, it's for your enjoyment. Yes, it's from God. Yes, I receive it as a gift. I don't deserve it, but I have it. Thank you, God. But also, you be rich in generosity. You be rich in good deeds. You know, next weekend, we're going to uh, see, you know, with the Super Bowl, we're going to see some football players on the field. I think they're the, they'll be the best of the best, you know. But there's one story about one of these players that I, I love the kind of person that he is off the field. And he's a Nebraska guy, so you guys all know him pretty well probably. Rex Burkhead. And the thing that I, I like about Rex Burkhead and his story here is what I like about this guy is that he realized that he wasn't just given things just to keep to himself. When he was a junior playing for Nebraska, he was 21 years old. And as you can imagine, uh, he didn't have a whole lot to give. If you've ever been a Division I athlete or you know one, you know that that's a pretty time-consuming thing, to be a D1 athlete and to be a college student. And it's not real lucrative. But Rex Burkhead, as a sophomore, got reached out to by this family called, the, the, the last name's Hoffman. And they reached out to him and they said, hey, our six-year-old, his name's Jack, and our six-year-old has this brain tumor that they aren't ever going to be fully take, take away through an operation. So he's going to have his second life-threatening operation. But before he has this operation, he has this dream. He wants to meet his favorite football player, number 22, you, Rex Burkhead. And so would you let us come and we'll get a picture with you and that'll be great. And so, you know, Rex says yes. And so they have this picture. And then, well, the picture leads to a tour of the stadium. And the tour of the stadium leads to a lunch. And, and all of a sudden you've got this 21-year-old college student with not a whole lot to give. But he's forming this friendship with this six-year-old who has this brain tumor. Now, this begins to catch on, though, and their relationship, their friendship really goes to the next level. And you might, you might remember this. Rex's good deed here impacts his entire team. It impacts his coach. And ultimately, it impacts all these Nebraska fans. You might remember this moment. This is at the spring game. Uh, check out He's this. wearing the number 22, guys. It is Jack Hoffman of Team Jack coming out of the field right now. There's fourth down and short. Jack Hoffman has been adopted really by this football team. A young man who has battled brain cancer is on the field right now for the Huskers. One more snap for Taylor Martinez too who will hand it off to Jack. So Taylor gets the shotgun set, gives it to Jack. Here he goes. <laughs> He's got blockers out in front. There he goes. He's running the midfield. Listen to this crowd. As Jack Hoffman, a young man that, as I mentioned, has really been adopted by this football team to score a touchdown. Oh, wow. What a moment. And both benches empty. That. That was a moment right there. Wow, goosebumps. Now as a New England Patriot, Rex Burkhead, you know, uh, really promotes Team Jack. He's raised millions of bucks for this kid's foundation, which helps other kids with brain cancer, kids like Jack. But you know the thing that strikes me about that story is this. It began with a single good deed. Will you take a picture with me? 
Yeah, I'll take a picture with you. I mean, think about that. Think about that day. Yeah, I'll take a picture with you, little guy. You bet, sure. And then it led to another good deed, a conversation. And then it led to, hey, do you want to have lunch? Hey, while you're here, let's go for a tour. And then it led to, hey, uh, here's my phone number. Oh, and by the way, thanks for that bracelet you gave me that says, pray Team Jack. I'll wear that in every NFL game that I don't know I'm going to play, but I will, right? Think about that. And now it's just a huge influence. And I just wondered, church, what is the good deed that God would love for you and I to initiate? It came down to one single act. The Apostle Paul says this to the church. He says, you be rich in good deeds. You be known for the things that you do that bring good and joy to other people in the name of Jesus Christ. My guess is this, that every time Rex Burkhead sees little Jack smile, he has this little sense of what it means to live a life that is truly life. Andy Stanley wrote this book called How to Be Rich, and I love the tagline of the book. It says, it's not what you have, it's what you do with what you have. It's not what you have, but it's what... What do you do with what you have? A gal in our church uh, years ago was reflecting on, just in her own time with God, reading God's word, she was reflecting on some of the blessings that God had put into her life. And, and she felt like God just kind of nudged her to really think about the fact that God had blessed her with family in that area. And so she thought about her three beautiful kids. And, and then she sensed this nudge from God. And the nudge was this. Hey, why don't you share this beautiful blessing that I have given to you? You didn't deserve it, but you have it for your enjoyment. Why don't you share that with others? And so they, they took that to heart and they began to pray, God, what does that look like? And so that led to fostering a child, which led to adopting a child, which led to them going down that road yet again. And that's not always an easy road. But you know what? They look back and they go, you know what? It is better to give than it is to receive. They look back and they ask this question time and time again, Lord, help me to be rich in good deeds. Church, what would it look like if we asked this question regularly? What does it mean for me to be rich in good deeds? I'm already rich over here, but God, what does it look for, like for me to be rich in good deeds? Jesus put it this way um, in Matthew chapter 6. Um, actually, I want to show you the rest of, of verse 18 first. It, it, Paul goes on. He says this. He says, command those to, them to do good and to be rich in good deeds. And then he says this. This is so important. Be generous and be willing to share. That means you look at your stuff. I look at our house. I look at my truck. I look, I look at stuff. And I go, okay, am I okay if somebody comes over and they spill on the carpet? Does that bother me or is that okay? Do I share my things? Be generous and willing to share in the same way. Lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation, so important here, for the coming age. And I just picture, I have this image in my mind of the Apostle Paul that he's whispering into our ears this morning. He's saying to us, this present age is not the most important age. There's an age to come that is going to far outweigh the present age. And if you're a good investor... What you will do is this. You won't look just at this present age. You'll look at the age to come. And what God is saying to you is your return on investment in the age to come is very, very, very important. And Paul wants Timothy to know in a culture that had a lot. And that wasn't a bad thing that Ephesus had a lot. There was nothing inherently evil about a lot. But what he wanted them to know is this. Don't you just be rich in the present age. 
You look at the things to come. You ask yourself the question, how do I make an eternal investment? How do I so pour into things that are beyond the age to come that I know one day I'll stand before God and he'll say, you were a good investor. You didn't just invest in the current age, the present age, but you invested in the age that is to come. Jesus put it this way. He said this in Matthew 6. Six. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, again, Jesus takes us right back, church, right back to what matters most. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus knew that if we're generous, it'll free up our heart. But if we're not generous, if we cling to everything, if we never look at the age to come, it will impact the very core, your heart. And then finally, wrap it up. The Apostle Paul says this in verse 19. He says, as a firm uh, foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life, it's right where we began, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He wants us to know if you want a good return on investment, you look at the life that is to come. You remember God is not a stingy God. You remember that it's okay to have. It's for your enjoyment, actually. What a good God, by the way. But don't just stay there. You be the kind of person that you're also rich in good deeds. I was driving into the office on Thursday morning and the sunrise was, was incredible. And I don't know about you, but these days, if the sun's shining, I'm like, that's a good day, right? And so, but the sunrise on Thursday morning just painted this beautiful sky. And I was thinking about this message and this passage, and, and I was asking the question, what does it mean to be rich in good deeds? And then it just hit me, the generosity of our God. I don't know if you remember this, but on Thursday morning, we, in our 365 reading, we were in John chapter 18. And in John 18, Jesus is about to go to the cross, and so he's on trial, and all these officials and high priests, they're pushing in him, and they're pressuring him, they're asking him questions. And at one point, these officials are there, and they're getting right up in Jesus' grill, and they're saying, you know, what, what are you teaching? And he answers their question. And then the official says this. The official says, is that how you answer the high priest? And at that moment, that official slaps the face of Jesus Christ. And I've got in my mind this beautiful sunrise. I mean, like, like cool, like, wow, what a good creator. And then I think to myself, that creator God was so generous. He stood before an official. What a moment, by the way. And he let that official strike him in the face before he'd be flogged and beaten and then ultimately taken to a cross. This is such a powerful verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, though he was enthralled in the beauties of his creation in heaven itself, yet for your sake he became poor. Generosity. So that you through his poverty, might become rich. And I just, that just rocked me. I thought to myself, whoa, you talk about modeling generosity. Jesus Christ, when he came and gave us his grace and died for us for our forgiveness and offers us new life, 
That's generosity. And so our challenge for this morning is this. How do I truly embrace the life that is truly life? And so I want to leave you with just one question this morning. In week three of this series, we're going to do kind of a fun thing. It's going to be what we're going to call Give It 90 Days, a challenge for us as a church. But this morning, I just want to leave you with one simple question for you to wrestle with. Here it is. What does it look like for me to be rich in generosity? Like, what does that look like? I mean, what would it be like, church, if, if we asked that question? What would it be like on Monday, this afternoon? What would it be like if I could still have this one in my mind on Tuesday? What does it mean for me to be rich? What does it mean for me to be rich in good deeds? How does it impact how I talk to the clerk? How does it impact things at home? How does it impact my co How does it impact what I say, do, how I see people? What does it mean for you and I to be rich in generosity? So let's go to God right now and let's just ask him to help us with that. Lord, we come to you this morning and Lord, we come as students, Lord, we come as adults, Lord, we come as professionals, Lord, we come to you and we just say this morning, first of all, thank you for your generosity that you so graciously modeled to us. Father, thank you that when we desire to show generosity to other people, God, what we're doing is we're, we're mirroring, the, mirroring the character of our awesome, incredible, generous God. And Lord, would you remind us this morning that when we, when we do good deeds to others, by no way, by no means, Lord, help us never to be fooled by this, that we're earning favor with you. But instead, what we're doing is we're reflecting. We're saying, out of my gratitude, out of the good things that you've given me, Lord, not just monetarily, but Lord, you've given me grace and forgiveness and love. You allow me to know you both today and forevermore. And so, God, out of that kind of reality that we live in, Father, help us to be the kind of people that it would be said of us, oh, they are rich in generosity. Lord, we love you. And we pray these things. We ask for your help. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.